This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools, and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Welcome back to Life Made Better. We have another very special guest with us today, Stephanie Buckley. Stephanie is a writer, editor, and book author. She has worked on staff at the Wall Street Journal, Quartz, and Inc. magazine. She does freelance editing for MIT Slow Management Review and Harvard Business School, and is a communications strategy advisor and trainer, running workshops for government officials, judges, and journalists in developing economies. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank Thanks for coming today. Thank you. Happy to be here. So can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Um, so I'm a writer primarily, uh, a mother of one, and I have a new puppy <laughs> and a husband. <laughs> Don't forget my husband. I love the fact everyone puts a husband last. <laughs> <laughs> He's very kindly walking the dog right now to keep things quiet in my house. So he is important. Um, and I live in Wimbledon, but as you can hear from my accent, I am an American and I'm a native Floridian. And yeah, that's about it. Hmm. So where did this passion for writing begin? So I, I think as a lot of writers will tell you, I, from a very early age, uh, wanted to be a writer. I kept a journal and a diary and I was an avid reader as a kid. And my career as a professional tennis player didn't pan out. Uh, so <laughs> I ended up becoming a journalist. <laughs> That's a bit of a joke. I was never, I played a lot as a kid, but I really wanted to be Chris Everett and that didn't happen. So I went into writing. And yes, I've been, I started out as a journalist and I've been uh, writing ever since. Oh, beautiful. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that, Stephanie. I wanted to be a tennis player that didn't pan out either. And that's how I ended up being marketing and a coach. But, you know, it, the lose of some is the game for this. <laughs> so, Obviously, you know, as we've heard on, on the introduction, you're a woman of, of many passions, right? And, and, and writing, you've got to find that uh, source of inspiration and creativity uh, to keep you alive and, and keep you going. So I'm curious to hear what keeps you motivated and, you know, where do you find that inspiration to do to do all these things and to create these storages and articles storages stories and articles <laughs> <laughs> so i think the truth is that i'm not always motivated uh, but i find that the more i put myself out there the more motivated i get um, so i had a real down period in september which is usually that period when i suddenly have lots of new work Summers are slow for freelancers, but for some reason I get huge amounts of work in September. With COVID, everything, a lot of my high paying freelance work disappeared. And usually what I do, I don't know why, but I do once things are down, I start pitching. And it didn't seem like a great time to pitch. So I decided, you know what, I just want to write anyway. And I started a, wrote a piece for Medium which is a self-publishing platform. And they also have various publications you can write for. I found one called uh, A Modern Parent. And I just put something out there, which was a story called My Daughter is, was a Creative Genius and then we got her an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> and that really struck a chord with people. 
And I had hundreds of thousands of readers, which really shocked me. People from Saudi Arabia were writing to me. People in Japan were writing to me. And I, the only reason I bring all of this up is because there was such a response to it that I started writing for Medium regularly. And I, there's something about just doing something creates its own uh, motivation. And suddenly I've got all these followers and picking up like 15 new followers a day. And then I have to keep writing because they're out there and I feel this obligation to fulfill my part of the bargain. And I, but it's also with fiction writing, I've done, I've written a few books, none yet published. Uh, and I've done two nonfiction books and both times you, you write just a certain amount and then you feel a sense of accomplishment. And then, so you keep writing. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you said that you sort of came to like a stuck position with COVID and then not getting enough work in. And we say that to our kids, don't we? Well, actually, when the boredom happens is actually when the magic can happen. And then you said, well, I just thought I'm going to start writing. And you wrote about something by the sounds of it that actually did interest you and did bring a spark and because it was real for you it was real for many more people and I remember reading that article as well and thinking wow yeah that really really related so and I think it's a brilliant message to give to our audience you know we're not always motivated and sometimes it is just being in that moment and putting something out there that brings that momentum and it doesn't always have to be overly fought out it can be just something you care about and you just want to put it out there and you know see where that leads it doesn't have to be sometimes when it's too prescribed I think it it loses that kind of spark and that you know real depth of uh, caring I mean Lucia and I have been on the same journey with coaching <laughs> we we did a course for um universal and the next thing we know you know they said it's the best course they had like this year and then we, we've got our own course and then we've having like loads of people come on it and now we've got lots of big um, businesses and you know that want us in and and all of a sudden we're like wow people want us <laughs> so you know things do happen that way don't they when you just really do just be honest and authentic and just put yourself out there. I think that's true. I have a, a friend, uh, Kate Donnellan, who sadly passed away, but she gave me one of the greatest pieces of advice. She said that sometimes you just have to put good vibes out into the universe and somehow the universe will find a way to reward that. And so I do find that when I'm feeling like there's nothing going on, I don't retrench. I, I don't actually retrench. What I do is I just throw something out there. And sometimes I throw lots of things out there, lots of pitches, and I always find at least one thing sticks. Yeah, yeah. It's like throwing the pasta at the wall, isn't it? Like you said, <laughs> one, one piece will stick. But I do think there's something out about, you know, doing something that's true to you, how that seems to suddenly get the ball rolling. Hmm. Yeah. They also, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that it's similar, you know, you know that saying that goes, don't stop smiling because you never know who that's, you know, who whose person that smile is going to help. And I think it's a bit that way, especially when you've got the power of the written word, which is a message that a lot of people take in. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that you just keep doing it and if you feel called to write it, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that that is because there's someone else out there that needs to read it. Right. Um, and we said it all the time, you know, to our clients, to our friends, family, um, we were saying that I come from a marketing background. I always say, if you've got a message that keeps coming to your heart, not just, just your head, your heart, 
put it out there because that means that someone out there at some point needs to listen to it, needs to read it. Um, and even if you think that, you know, the world is not ready for it or you're not going to accept it, put it out there. You never know what's going to come out. And, and you know, it's, it's that feeling of, I just felt like I needed to write this article about my daughter being a creative genius and it resonates and it picks up and then that develops onto something else. Mm. Am I right in, in thinking, Stephanie, or because we were just talking about you creating a podcast, which is super exciting about, you know, uh, creative children. So is, was that in a way the spark of that idea? Uh, no, that actually followed. I, I wrote that story and then a friend reached out to me who is a teacher, a uh, longtime educator, and she liked the story. And she said, you know, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a long time about this notion of creativity in children. And we talked about that because both of us have these very sparky, creative kids who are constantly producing stuff. They're the kind of kids who invent the games other kids play. And yet at school, both of them do struggle a bit. It's not that they both have done pretty well, but you would not categorize them as academic. And the issue is that they are not academic in the sense that schools want them to be. And so we started talking about that and thinking, boy, we know lots of kids like this. We know lots of parents who are worried about this. And then we, we listened to a, pot, a, a TED talk by a man named Sir Ken Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the most listened to TED talks of all time. And it is about how schools tend to dampen creativity. And they, and this is a big issue because the world needs innovators. The world mm -hmm. needs creative people. We do not, you know, uh, with all due respect, we don't need more professors. Um, and yet that's what most schools train kids to do. And we, we were both very moved by his talk. And we thought, you know what, there have to be lots of other parents out there like us who want to help our children keep this creative spark uh, because it's going to be extremely valuable to them as long as they can get through secondary school yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then all of the businesses will want them. <laughs> mm. I mean, this is music to my ears, as you know, before I was uh, doing coaching, I did 20 years of teaching and teacher training. And, you know, my passion was let's make school available to all types of children so all can thrive that there shouldn't be any children that are in, in a class feeling less than anybody else right uh, you know and to to hear you saying that you're going to do this podcast and bring that to other people's thinking and feeling I think is super important because so many kids come out feeling a failure and it's not because they're not smart it's because they're smart in a different way and like you said they need the innovators that we don't want everybody who can just you know learn by rote and be good at an exam these are not the people that are going to create new stories new you know inventions new art we need all sorts of people thriving and we often get people on our courses that have been damaged by school they thought they weren't good enough and actually it wasn't that they weren't good enough it wasn't that their um passions yeah their system yeah and their passions weren't recognized their talents weren't recognized so i think it's a really important message that you're getting out there yes and we do we lose so many talented people because they fail that first hurdle and then they're constantly second guessing themselves through and beyond that there's this notion of failure 
right? So that all, every entrepreneur you can, you can interview, you can think of, will tell you about the many failures they have and they're embracing a failure. And so this also is, is really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, not to say schools aren't getting this. Schools are getting this. I mean, there are mm-hmm. programs going on across the, in, in, in every country where they are trying to change the nature of schools so that they do embrace these creative kids. Uh, but when you have one of these kids and you feel that they're not ticking the right boxes, that can be mm-hmm. very difficult for parents and, mm-hmm. and, and really hard on the kids. Yeah, and I think it's more the government than the schools. The schools are, you know really stuck and try wanting to be more creative but having to get results so I think they're stuck in a really hard spot I don't think it is that they're not want they know that you know every teacher I've ever worked with knows it but that you know to be able to fulfill that with the restrictions is is very difficult and I think as parents if we know that we can nurture it and get our children to understand there's nothing wrong with them there's something wrong with the system yes right but I think you need to pay close attention. And I think, you know, there's, there's two thoughts that are coming for me. Obviously, with lockdown and having to do homeschooling, uh, my children are, you know, very young. So it's three and five years, which is the ages that, you know, is pre- preschool, is reception, where you would imagine it's all about play and creativity, which to a certain point it is. However, for example, I was surprise and you can argue that it's part of of the learning right because you need to make the associations but they were given for example task of you need to paint a penguin and you need to use these colors to color it in and I was like you know my daughter is a rebel at heart um, and she did paint her penguin but her penguin was glitter pink green (laughs) orange (laughs) rainbow and you know part of me um with my you know education hat hat on I was like oh should I be directing my daughter to be using black and white and orange and then my creative rebel self (laughs) kicked in and I was like you know what no if you want to use the whole color palette and that's your idea for penguin go for it explore it and make it happen (laughs) so I guess that's one point like on the one hand yes the school the system the government obviously has to follow some guidelines and to a certain extent allows creativity but in my view is a bit of a restrained creativity because it's go wild but not too wild and my other point is like when you go out in the wild right and join the the work environment you frequently join companies particularly on the corporate environment that expect you to be thinking outside the box, to be solving problems and come up with ideas and solutions. So how are we meant to be doing that if we've somehow been trained to not do that, to follow the guidebook, to follow the textbook and do not deviate from this way of thinking? So what's your, what's your point? What's your view on that, Stephanie? Well, I mean, I think that you've just summed up perfectly the issue Right. <laughs> I don't know that I can add much to it. You said it so beautifully. I'm going to copy that and use it on talk. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> but that is, of course, the issue. They're being trained to be one thing, and in fact, the world needs people who can embrace failure and who can imagine new ways of doing things. Uh, it's interesting. I remember when my daughter was in year two, she had this teacher who, fortunately, was very fond of her, and she said, "Bless your child," but. I give instructions and all of the kids do what I say and your child does something completely different. But the strange thing is that she gets exactly to the right point in the end. 
<laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that a good thing? I understand it from the teacher's perspective. It's probably not ideal because you want them to do one thing. You can't have 20 kids all doing or 30 kids all doing something completely different. But I thought that's the point. How do you preserve that kind of original thinking mm -hmm. and, and, help them, and help them to thrive? Uh, so this is, yes, of course, this is our big, the big issue that I think schools probably understand that they all face and industry faces. And how do we make it all work? And, yeah. And I think it is about allowing them to be themselves within a parameter of, yes, you've got to get to B, but how you get from A to B is, is a decision. It's a choice. And it's, you know, it's to do with your talents and your skills. And yes, there's some things you will need to learn, but we can also nurture your strengths. We don't, we shouldn't make you feel wrong for those because there's so many people and we find it throughout our job that you know just don't feel good enough and then they're too scared to take risks right. and we have to take risks to you know we have to get out of our comfort zone and feel comfortable being uncomfortable to try anything like you said if you didn't have that kind of gutsy personality or you know it went well I'm just going to try and put this you know, I've got no work. I'm just going to try and write this and see how it works. If you were scared of failure, you wouldn't have done it. Right, right. I think that's true. And we're finding that so many times, aren't we, with our with, with the people mm. that we meet, the people that come on our course, our clients, they do not want to be seen to fail or they don't want the feeling of failure. Even, and I say to them, well, failure is a word. It's just a word that's made up. We can call it anything you want. We can say it's a, a step to success because you've learned something. <laughs> it doesn't have to be called failure, but that is so important that we do nurture that in schools as well, I think, that this risk-taking and doing things in different ways. Mm -hmm. You sound like you're the woman that's, well, where did this come from that this kind of, I'll just give it a go? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew the answer to that question. <laughs> I guess the first thing that comes to mind is I had a the kind of childhood that was pretty uh, relaxed, I guess. Um, we had a lot of freedom as kids. My parents played a lot of tennis. <laughs> My brother and I ran around and did other things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know. My parents were quite sweet and they encouraged us to do whatever we wanted. We didn't. They weren't very... Uh, they weren't, they were strict in some ways, but not in the ways of making, this is the kind of prescribed future for us. Yeah. Um, mm. Maybe I, I can thank them for that. But the main thing my mother, I guess, always focused on was the hard work part. Because yeah. there are only so many naturally brilliant, gifted people out there. Most yeah. of us have to make an effort. And probably my, the thing that has served me well is that when things are down, when things are difficult, I put my head down and I work not yeah. afraid of the, the hard mm -hmm. work because most people don't understand that it's almost I would say 99% of your success comes down to putting your head down and doing the hard work mm. and I think that's a beautiful thing to flag I recently watched um you know one of the videos from Joe Wicks uh, who, who obviously became a bit of a, a nation's hero yes. and I really loved this uh, viral video that he put out saying here goes my 12 years to an overnight success wow. and I think we need to see more of that because quite you know quite frankly we live in an age where you at the scroll of your thumb you see so many, and I'm going to quote, success stories of like, oh, I've just got this however, a million followers and I do this six, seven figure businesses. But nobody tells you 
how was the journey to get there? Nobody tells you that to get that first client, they've actually been doing freebies for five years. And I think that's what we need to hear because somehow the sense of hard work, the sense of we are falling, but we're standing back up and we are going back on the arena is getting lost. And I think it's also this notion that you don't want to take work that's beneath you. And I, I, I just feel like I am forever taking on those kinds of projects that don't pay that well, but do lead to something. I'm not sure what point in my life I don't have to keep doing that, but something tells me I always have to do that. <laughs> well, I think that taking keeps that us humble. First, <laughs> yeah, I think that, that keeps us humble, doesn't it? Mm. Right? You take the internship, you make almost nothing, but you put yourself out there and then you're in a position to be successful because you're the person who's there working harder than, or working as hard as you can or hard enough, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's going back to showing the universe though, isn't it? That you want it and you are, you know, putting it out there and they do lead to others. I know, you know, lots of work that I've done for nothing or for little because I want to give back to people that haven't got a lot. It's led to other things I wouldn't even dreamed of. Right. It was done for the right reasons. And I think, you know, like you said, you put that good energy out there. And, you know, if, if I didn't have a lot of work at the time, it seemed the right thing to do. Right. But also with writing, though, in particular, uh, it's just the actual act of writing is, uh, is about you're working on your uh, muscle developing a strong writing muscle so for those people out there who are interested in writing i would just say what my stepfather always said to me which is writers write if you want to be a writer you write you just do it every day and you do it as a habit and eventually you actually get much better at it um and i do love medium for from that perspective because you suddenly are writing and even if you haven't pitched some editor who's published you you still you publish yourself and or you get a publication on Medium to publish you, but the point is you are writing every day and you're getting better at it. And that itself is its own reward. Yeah, I believe that for everything, to tell you the truth. And when I talk, that was the message I give to the kids. If you want to be good at something, everything can be achieved, but you just have to keep practicing. You know, it's all about the practice, isn't it? And right. we've, we've both done research in, um, obviously, in how people develop and Lucia's uh, does lots on happiness. And it's been proven that people that are happy are people that, give things a go it's actually in the process that people right. are happy when they get to the destination it's never what they think it's going to be right. it's actually in the trying it which brings that happiness well it's because uh, it's happiness is not a destination and i think that is the most dangerous myth that we've been led to believe that happiness is a destination and i blame disney for it at some point <laughs> Because, you know, all the movies finish with and they lived happily ever after. Mm, well, where's my happy ever after, right? And that is something that you work at every day. And it's the little things like looking at the right moment in the right time and savoring it. Is the process of how you get there. Is the communication. Is the friendships. There's so much more that feeds into that happiness than what we're led to believe that, uh, you know, and it's similar to that process of writing a book, um, you know, or, or becoming a writer. You've got to enjoy the process of actually putting pen and paper or, you know, keyboard and, 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 and the screen. But you need to enjoy that part of, I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to let my fingers flow and see what happens. And sometimes right. the product yeah. will be brilliant and sometimes the product will be like, eh, probably trash it. <laughs> <laughs> but you were there. <laughs> 
I had a my the very first boss I ever had was the owner of Inc. Magazine, a guy named Bernie Goldhirsch. And he, I remember the first meeting we had with Bernie. He owned him. He didn't actually actively manage us, but he gave all of the interns an introductory session. And the thing that really stuck with me is he said, if there's one piece of advice I can give you, it's to follow your passion. And this is a man who started a magazine. Uh, he was a sailor. And then he thought, oh, we really should have a magazine about sailing because at the time he didn't feel there was, the, he wanted to have his own. And as he created Sail Magazine, he realized it really should be a magazine about helping people like me run small businesses. So he created a magazine called Inc., and so one passion led to another passion, and he just followed along that path. Um, but it was all driven by his genuine interest. Mm-hmm. And so his point was this, you may not be wildly successful at the things that you pursue, but as to your point, he, he, along the way, you'll be enjoying yourself. So isn't that really the point? And sometimes yeah. it's hard to t- remind ourselves of that when we're failing. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do like to tell myself that, that the point is I like writing. So even if I, I, I've had 30 readers of something versus 200,000, <laughs> the point is I enjoyed writing it. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there something, that's something that Gary B also says. It's like, you know, because obviously he's huge in social and a lot of people approach him to say, hey, how, how can I become viral? How can I have millions of followers? Right. And I love that his go-to answer is just post and talk about whatever you're passionate about. Yes. Just care about putting out there something that you feel passionate about and the right people will land on you. Instead of doing something that you feel people will like, just do whatever you like, because even if you fail, (laughs) you will be enjoying it. And that's the point. And people sense that kind of sincerity as well. So after I wrote that first story for Medium, I did try to relive the viral experience by writing a story about how my first story went viral. <laughs> and, I, but, and that one actually didn't do badly. It didn't do it in the same way. But one of the points I made is that that story, I believe, was successful because I wrote it from the heart. Yeah, And yeah. I think people genuinely sense that. It's just, it's so transparent. Um, and they and they then they relate and if it resonates with them then they will share it with other people and feel like they got some real value from it Mm. you reminded me of Liz Gilbert uh who you know she's uh, I I love her um and uh, she's very publicly said that after eat pray love she was like how will I ever (laughs) <laughs> write anything that amounts to a you know centesimal amount of what eat pray love was and her answer was like I want and the moment that you come to make peace to that fact and be like look I had this huge successful moment I'm not gonna write something like that ever again and I'm cool with that I'm just reminding myself that I'm writing because I do love doing so and then you know she went on to to write Big Magic which was another success um she's written I've forgotten the um the name of it I read it and I loved it but who's also been picked up by a big studio and is going to turn it into a movie wow. so you can't go the city girls city girls yeah and you can go on and and create some sort of success after that but I think it's also what I'm hearing is managing those expectations which is also something that can help you feed into you know that joy and the happiness that we were relating but what I'm also curious to hear Stephanie is because obviously following your passion, doing it from the heart. It is something that we very much encourage. But throughout those times, and even though you were following 
you're passionate and your heart, you may have faced a few challenges um, along the way. So could you share with us something that you, some challenges that you have faced and, and how did you overcome those? Well, I mean, I would say the biggest challenge has been that I, in my heart of hearts, I imagine that I'm a fiction writer. And so even though I started out my very first job, it was in business journalism, and then I ended up in business journalism for a really long time. Um, I really want to write fiction. I've written three novels. The first almost was published. The second one was absolutely awful. And the third one <laughs> is, I think, a decent book. And I don't have a magic recipe. All I can tell you is I just keep doing it. Um, and I do believe that if I keep pushing myself, that at some point there will be... Uh, Perhaps I'll get lucky and get an agent and get published. But I think at the same time, there are days I think, how lucky am I that I get to manage to sort of mix different kinds of work, some that pays, some that doesn't. But in the end, I, I get time to work on fiction and time to walk a dog and be with my daughter and my husband. And so anyway, I, have to, I can I, I console myself by saying, look, I have a very, very fortunate life. But I do dream of getting a book published. <laughs> do you know, do you know um, Stephen, is it Stephen Pressfield that wrote for something like 15 books and then is... Oh, 15 books. Art. I don't think I have 15 books. Was it, was it called The Art of Writing, is it called? I think I Stephen know. Pressfield, yeah. I heard an interview with him recently on a podcast and he said it took him, you know, I think he had 50, it was the 50th book and then it went absolutely... Oh mad i will send you the podcast it was no, on Folio. No. so it's a great one for writers to keep keep that magic going when you're having a bad day <laughs> it isn't easy being a creative it wasn't it jk rowling as well like you know harry potter that she got declined her manuscript got declined at pretty much every single major publication house in the nation and you know she went on to to be as huge as she is right now so I think the bottom line of the story and what I'm hearing from you Stephanie is that even though you think it's not going to lead you anywhere and yes you're going to have these challenges but just keep at it um, and just continue doing what you feel passionate about because someday at some point, something is going to stick. So don't give up on yourself just yet. Oh, I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for that fiction book. Think of us when you're having a bad moment. <laughs> so, Stephanie, which is the one question we wished, you wish, sorry, we had asked you that we haven't? Oh, that is such a good question. Well, we were going to talk a little bit about how... Um, you know, uh, any kind of advice for writers. Yeah. And I, I think that maybe that's what I should say. Uh, and I guess number one is writers write, write every day. Uh, I, I find that has a way of just getting your, your muscles in shape. Uh, read good writing. I, uh, whenever I'm feeling unmotivated, I will pull out a New Yorker. This is a U.S. magazine that the writing is exceptional in. And I find that I'm barely halfway through a piece when I just throw the magazine aside and want to try out my own writing uh, and tackle my own subject with that kind of great tone in my head, a like, really nice flow of writing. Uh, and then, you know, obviously um, uh, be willing to let other people edit you and be able to take criticism. 
So the most I've learned is from all those fantastic editors that I've worked with over the years, trying to just write to a level that they find acceptable and then being open to their criticism and not taking it personally. So then I can move on to another editor and learn from them. I've found that that's been a very useful tool in terms of improving my writing. Mm, it's not easy though, is it? Because mm. you're always at the mercy of the editor. And, you know, I remember Elizabeth Gilbert saying in interviews as well that, you know, some of the stories that she'd sent to editors she was told was terrible until she had Eat, Pray, Love and then she sent them back to the editors and they told her they were brilliant but that's <laughs> that had her name on them so yeah. it is a little bit isn't it it's not a, it's not an easy road it's quite subjective certainly in the mm. fiction world it's a very fussy uh, field and they they're they're going through phases where they're cert- interested in certain kinds of writing at certain times and that can be upsetting uh, mm. or very challenging I should say but no I mean just in terms of getting professionally edited to just to be open to what you can learn from better writers than yourself I think is an incredibly valuable thing yeah I think you just have to keep learning don't you and keep putting it out there and you know I honestly think one day we're going to see that fiction and we're all going to be reading it. <laughs> and we can say, we heard you here. <laughs> can you sum up, Stephanie, in one sentence? <laughs> How you made your life better. Uh, well, it all started with that podcast I was on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Name us. <laughs> yeah. I will. All right. Well, thank you, ladies. That was lots of fun. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. It's been lovely, lovely to have you. Yeah, some great answers. I know our audience will love it. And thank you to our audience for joining us for one more week. Thanks for showing us your love and appreciation. And please share the love. Share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit from it. Like, leave a comment and subscribe. And we will look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, stay well, stay safe and stay inspired. Much love.